Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. God has been moving on me in ways differently than He has in the past, or it might be I'm just listening differently. And sometimes that happens, amen? And so, you know, friends, I've, I've had to do a few things in my life that I knew were necessary. And I've learned as a minister that no matter what they teach us uh, in the classes to become one, it doesn't really teach you how to be a pastor. Now, that might shock you a little bit, but it's true. They teach you the things that you'll need, and they give you the education and the understanding of certain things, but I have news for you. You haven't figured it all out yet. And, and there's a lot more learning that goes into it. In fact, for every Christian, no matter how much education you have, uh, the learning never stops. Uh, but beyond that, um, we sort of teach guys and gals uh, the things they need to have to be a minister, and then we throw them in a church and say, now go to town. And then we find out that a lot of it's OJT, and it's experience. And you, there's no substitute for those things. And so, as I began learning that, I also found that how you pastor one church, you can't pastor the next one like that. I've learned that people are different from congregation to congregation, and they migrate, I noticed. And I also noticed that in your, when you're in a church for a long time, like I have been, I am, I am in the, oh, I don't know, about 7% of pastors today, because if you stay more than 10 years, you're in, in 7% of pastors to stay longer. And there's just not that many pastors that stay that long. I've been here 20 years. Uh, I mean, and I, I know it because I look in the mirror and I see that I'm changed. I'm grayer, and, and it's your fault, every bit of it. I used to blame my kids too, so don't think much, you know, don't think much of that. But I, I found that as church, if you've been at church for a long time, what it was when you got there, what it is three or four years later, what it is three or four years later after that, and then it, it changes too. Sometimes good, sometimes not, but the changes are there. And it is because society changes. The needs of people changes. The demographics change. Uh, the in and out changes. Everything changes. And as that changes, you have to change. And so it's difficult sometimes to do that because when we figure something out, that's our go-to. When you figure something out, you continue to go back to it because you know it works. But what happens when it no longer works anymore? Or it's changing. And the church is rapidly changing. Uh, and I'm not just saying at Free Life we're changing, the church universal is changing. The demographics are very different today than they were even five years ago. I mean, I can't, I mean, what you saw Mandy do today is, is like unheard of. Ten years ago, we had not done that. You never said, take out your cell phones and text this thing to the, right? That's because the church is changing. And not everybody today did it because they don't have a cell phone or a smartphone or whatever. But I think in another 10 years, everybody probably will. 
or, you know, whatever. But things, and, and who knows what else we're going to have. Maybe we won't even have smartphones. Maybe something else. What I'm saying to you is, I found that things change rapidly and we have to change with them. But the one thing that has never changed is what God has said and commanded. His plan has never changed. But the problem with that is that we want to take what we are today versus what we used to be, and we want to change it because we think that God ought to change with us. Does that make sense to you? And I, listen, I'm not here saying, oh, that's terrible. And I'm not trying to, you know, say, gosh, what's the matter with this? I'm just simply telling you that's what's happened. I agree and believe that the church has to change. But our message absolutely never will. It never will. In fact, the Bible says specifically, God is unchangeable. However, we've misinterpreted, I think sometimes, what that actually means. Okay? Nevertheless, as I began to look at this, and I looked at the scripture that, that God has given me, it comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. And as we continue this series, what is the church of Christ? We are indeed today, and always have been, a royal priesthood. Now that probably, and, and well, let me go back a minute. I think everybody says, well, well I knew that. And I'm, I'm guessing you probably didn't. You know the term, but I doubt very many Christians today in the church actually know what it is and more so what it means. And so I'm going to assume today that you don't know. And I'm going to teach you what it is. You know why? Because I myself probably didn't understand the depth of it until six or eight months ago. Because again, I'm learning. And when I thought I had it understood, I found out that God said, well, there might be a little more to that. And so He teaches me. And I can look at any scripture, and I'll bet you the oldest person in here has been a Christian in a long time. I don't want to point fingers at anybody, but you probably know who it is. And I'm guessing that that individual and others who've been around a while will tell you the exact same thing I'm about to tell you. No matter how many times they read a passage, every time they read it the second or third and a hundredth time, God teaches them something new in it. Because His Word is living. Right? It, it doesn't change, but our, but, but our lives adapt to it as we go through our changes. Okay? So take your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, and scroll down to the first verse there. And listen to what Peter says. He says, therefore, based on what he said before, okay, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, sure, we know that. But I don't know that we've rid ourselves of it. We know, we know we're not to do it. But have we rid ourselves of it? Well, see, that's the key. You can't. Only God can. And once you have God, you can make a decision to rid yourself of that stuff. And when people say, I can't, no, it means won't. Because God has given you the way, and He's ordering you, commanding you to do it. Amen? And if it couldn't be done, would He have commanded it? No. That's the point. So do these things. And then look at this. Like newborn babies craved pure spiritual milk. I don't think we're doing that so much these days either, okay? So that by it, you may grow up in your salvation. 
There's the key. God wants us to grow up in our salvation. When people tell me, does the Bible really teach that? <laughs> yes, it does. God wants you to get saved and then grow up in your salvation. Agreed? Okay, there it is. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. Now, Zion is the new Jerusalem that is not yet. You understand that? Okay, And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble, get this, because they disobey the message. They stumble because they disobey the message. Are you saying, Pastor, that as a Christian, when I stumble, it's because I disobeyed the message? Yes. That's what Peter is saying. And listen, people that want to argue and say, well, Jesus didn't say it, so, and I go back and say, so, what? Jesus called Peter just like he called Paul. He called him specifically. And he said, this is what I have for you. And they have done exactly what he's ordered and commanded them to do. And again, if it weren't true, would it be here? No. He says they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. You're destined to stumble when you don't give your life over to Christ and allow him to do what only he can do in it. Okay? But, get this, you are a chosen people, here we go again, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have receive mercy. Now, friends, this is huge. Is it deep? Yes and no. Is it repetitive? Yes, I repeat things because he did. Royal priesthood, royal priesthood. Twice he says it. Why? There's a reason. Okay? And not only that, it's, it, I almost think that the royal priesthood figured this way. Uh, my wife tells me a lot of times that we're visual people. Uh, I've been told by others we're visual people, and I, I don't learn that way. I learn by reading books. And some of you are like, oh, what's the matter with you, man? But that's how I learn. I, I can read books with no pictures, and I'm good. But everybody doesn't learn that way, right? Other people have to see graphics, and they, right, because it solidifies things in their minds. So let me give you one. Everybody probably likes sandwiches. Now, I know this is the wrong time of day we talk about sandwiches. But bear with me, and I'll get you out of here as soon as I can. Okay? Sandwiches. When you make a sandwich, you use two pieces of bread, right? Now, every sandwich I've ever seen is basically the same. Why? Because it has an element that's identical. It has two pieces of bread. Agreed? Now, I know where the sandwiches came from. 
some of you don't know where the origin of sandwiches came from. It actually came from a, 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 an individual who was gambling in a casino many, many years ago. He didn't want to leave the gambling table, and so he said, I'm hungry, but just, just throw me a couple pieces of meat th between two pieces of bread, and I'll, I'll eat that. And the sandwich was born. I'm serious. How many of you knew that? Oh, a couple did. Good. So, sandwiches, okay? So, royal priesthood at the beginning, royal priesthood at the end of the passage are the pieces of bread. That's the sandwich part. See, we know what those things are. We see them every time in every sandwich. The difference is what's between it, okay? What's between it? And for, for some of us in here, it may be different than it is for the one next to us. However, most sandwiches also have condiments that are probably the same. Almost everybody puts cheese in there somewhere. Almost everybody puts either uh, mayonnaise or Miracle Whip in there. Now, you know, I'm a Miracle Whip guy. Some of you are mayonnaise people. Who's Miracle Whip people in here? Yeah, those are the intelligent ones. Who's, who's the mayonnaise? Yeah. Okay. And some of you, God forbid, and mass one of these people puts ketchup on everything. Ketchup doesn't belong on pork of any sort. It doesn't belong on chicken. Okay? It doesn't. It certainly doesn't belong on noodles or mac and cheese, Matt. Okay. So, or what? Or bean soup. Yeah. But anyway, but see, here's the thing. Now, the sandwich may be different, but again, there's constants within it. And that's what we have to look at today, because he mentions it twice, and what's between? For some of you, it'll be the same. For some of you, it won't. But there are certain things within this sandwich that'll be the same for everybody. You understand? Now, so when we hear the term royal, a lot of things come to our minds. We probably think of the royal family of Britain. Anybody? Most likely? Anybody do that? And we have this unbelievable infatuation with this family. I personally never understood why people could sit and watch their weddings and their funerals and their stuff for hours at a time and why it gets so much coverage. I, I, I don't get it. They have zero power. None. And the only reason they're in the royal family is because they descended from somebody who was royalty. But the last time I checked, everybody puts their drawers on the same way, okay? Which is why our nation was founded without it. In fact, it's illegal in the United States. We do not uh, allow royalty or nobility. It's illegal. Did you know that? Yeah. Now, have some Americans become knighted? Yes, but we do not recognize it. The British government does. We've had Americans who have been knighted in the British government, but... It means nothing here, okay? Now, do we recognize nobility and royalty when they're part of a foreign government? Yes. We offer them the courtesy, but that's it, okay? However, most of us, like you and I, don't really identify with it because it's not, we don't have it here. But Britons are nutty about it. Have you noticed that? And they've been in the news a lot lately. You know, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have pretty much renounced uh, their, their, their royalty. I mean, they're, they're royal in name, but that's about it. They, they, they're, they're not even called Prince Harry and Princess Meghan anymore. Did you know that? Yeah. So wh why do you say that? Well, 
I want you to understand that the United States doesn't allow it because we realize what being under a, mar under a monarchy has had done to us. And we weren't going to let that happen again. Our, our forefathers said, never again will we be under a tyrant because a king can rule any way they want. A queen can rule any way they want. And to tell you the truth, I look at some of the things that this queen does, and I disagree with a lot of it. Okay, but I'm not a Briton either. And yet, here we are talking about royalty as a Christian. So how do you, how do you put that together? Well, as I begin to think about it, I think it's something we really don't understand very well. Not just what it means to be royal, but how we're to act because of it. Because God says, you are a royal priesthood, which means we are. So if I don't have any experience with royalty other than watching on TV and knowing that other nations do it, well, how does that affect me as a royal now? Because I don't, I don't get it. Britons probably understand it better than I do. But God seems to indicate that because you are royal, you must act differently. And let me tell you something. The royal family has to act differently in public than everybody else. Why? Because they're royal. And when they don't, the monarch comes down on them. Believe me, she does. Okay? And that's why Harry got out, because he didn't want it anymore. And I, I guess I understand it. And yet, can I be rebellious against God and say, I don't want to be part of your royal priesthood? Yes, but if you do that, you're losing your salvation. You understand that? Because if you're saved and belong to God, then you are part of the royal priesthood. That's just the way it is. You're, you're reborn into it. You understand? You can't, you can't denounce it. It's yours. It's what you have. And you ought to act accordingly. That's the first part. But then I thought about when we hear the term priest or priesthood, we usually think of some type of clergy or pastor. Agreed? And while this is accurate, the Word of God says that all, all Christians are part of God's priesthood. And so in this message, I hope to help us understand God's intent with these terms and what they actually mean so that we can act accordingly. So first of all, what is a priesthood? Well, to understand it, we have to go back and say, well, what's a priest? Now, there are certain uh, denominations and religious organizations out there today uh, that actually have priests within their organization. And they're not all clergy. Okay? Most of them who do have them and are Christian are clergy. But some are not. Now, I'm not going to get on that today because it got me in trouble last week. But the fact of the matter is some religions that aren't Christian have priests within the organization and they're not clergy, okay? You have to understand that. Now, Vine's Theological Dictionary says a priest is one who is especially consecrated to the service of a divinity and through whom worship, prayer, sacrifice, and other service is offered to that object of worship. And pardon, blessing, or deliverance is obtained by the worshiper. Now, that makes a lot of sense because in the Christian realm, that's exactly what it is. In other words, it's somebody who serves a god, a deity, or a divination, and they do it because they're set aside, they're called, they're consecrated 
unto the service of that particular deity. They help people attach to, worship, and seek that deity or God through prayer, worship, and other ways so that those doing so can receive the blessings and the benefits that that deity offers. You understand? I don't want to lose you. Now, like I said before, a priest doesn't have to be a Christian. Okay? The church of Satan has priests. Okay? Now, I'm not going to touch anybody else today, but the fact of the matter is, we would, I think everybody would admit the church of Satan can't be Christian. Agreed? Okay? They have priests there. Understand? They're a leader. They're serving a deity. And the, their, their deity is Satan. Agreed? It's actually not. It's actually self. Uh, I'm not going to get into that today, but that's what they would say. Of course, they're, they're misguided. Nevertheless, there are many priests in a plethora of different religious followings that are definitely not Christian. Some are straight-up pagan and don't even claim to serve God Almighty. Others don't even call themselves Christian, yet claim to worship God Almighty. And still others claim to be Christian, but their worship of God doesn't necessarily follow the Holy Bible in its entirety, I would add. Or their brand of Christianity isn't obedient to the commands of God Almighty. So you got to remember that just because you're a priest, well, that doesn't mean you serve God. Okay? Now, in Christianity, a priest does all of those things for God in the service of God, and he has no other gods involved. Agreed? And they do so by being called into God's service and by being obedient to God's word and to God's commands. Isn't that what a priest is? So secondly, what is a hood? Well, you know, today we would say, well, that's the bad area of town. That's the hood. Well, yes, that's what we've called it. But in this instance, that's not what it is. Webster's Underbridge Dictionary says it's a suffix denoting a state such as a childhood, fatherhood, priesthood, or something collectively, a body or organization of whatever it denotes, an organization of whatever it serves. Well, makes sense, okay? In other words, it would be a group of people organized into whatever they're supporting or representing. In this case, it's a collection of priests. Okay? Priesthood would be a collection of priests. Does that make sense to you? The priesthood is a collection of priests. Okay? Now, again, Vines says it's a body of priests consisting of all believers, the whole church, not a special order from among them called a holy priesthood. So what I have to do to explain that to you is show you in some way without boring the snot out of you, okay, that there are different types of priests. In the Old Testament, we find that the priests of God were those men, because it was only men back then, okay, who were appointed by God to lead the people toward God spiritually. Okay? Agreed? Everybody agrees with that? They led the people in prayer. They led the people in intercession. They led the people in instruction from the Word of God. They offered sacrifices. They petitioned God on the behalf of the people. And they were the spiritual leaders, not only of just the people, but to the leader of the nation 
who was typically a king or someone appointed to lead that nation politically. Okay? So they were the advisors to that person as well. And that person, even though they were in charge of the nation, was expected to submit to the priest's authority spiritually. Okay? Now, we don't like to do that today, but that's what they were designed to do. Now, in the New Testament, the priests are of two different persuasions. For one, priests are called to do roughly the same things the Old Testament priests did, with the exception, I would say, of offering sacrifices. Or do they? Well, not in the same manner that they used to, but they still do it. Henceforth, we offer the sacrifice of praise. Okay? So you have to understand, priests still offer sacrifices. All right? Just not killing of animals for the atonement for sin. Okay? It's just a different sacrifice. Now, they are ordained to serve Holy Communion, which takes the place of the Old Testament sacrifices by the way of death and the perfect... Well, that's because Christ was the perfect sacrifice. So that's done away with. You understand? Okay? Now, the partaking of the body and the blood represented by the bread and the wine or the grape juice or whatever the denomination uses, it, ought to, it has to be from the vine, though. That's why when people use other things, uh, it, it, it doesn't really depict specifically what God intended it. Now, in a pinch, do I think you can use something off the vine, outside the vine? Yeah, probably. Because I think it's the heart of the matter more than, right, the, the liturgy of it. You understand? But that's what He called us to do. And what happens is it participates the believer into the sacrifice of Jesus for the remission of our sins. So when you take communion, it basically says, I'm participating in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ because His sacrifice covered me. And, that's, and you partaking of that says you acknowledge and agree with that. Okay? That's basically what communion is. Now, Priests are often called different things, like clergy, they're called elders, uh, they're called pastors or ministers. But regardless of what they're called, these people are still called to this ministry by God Himself. In fact, no real clergy person, no real pastor, no real priest can become that without God specifically calling that person. Agreed? They're called. Now, we got to take their word for it, don't we? Because only God knows the heart. But, but I'm going to tell you, anybody who becomes a, a clergy person without actually being called is in serious trouble. So you better be sure. And here's another thing. Anybody who, like me, was called and ran, you're in trouble too. <laughs> right? Okay. So they're set apart, okay, for God to lead Christians into a deeper relationship with God, and to lead non-Christians into a relationship with God. Yes? That's what a priest does. They perform the various sacraments in addition to Holy Communion that the Bible gives them the authority uh, outside of others to do, such as uh, the sacrament of marriage, burying the dead, baptizing with water, and dedicating children and buildings and other things into the service of God. That's what a priest who's a clergy person does. 
they also anoint people with oil and set them apart for special service or authority that's of a temporary nature. Do you understand that? We anoint for a temporary nature, for a specific uh, healing or, or a specific uh, 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 something they have to do or a ministry that they're going to lead. It's a temporary calling, and that's done with oil. And sometimes it's for an event too. But the New Testament calls, get this, all Christians into a priesthood. So how do we separate the clergy from the rest of the priesthood? Well, you don't in this regard. Again, two different types of priests. And the reason is that we offer all sacrifices unto God. All of us have to do that. This means we're His brothers and sisters, and we share in the reward that God has given Him. As such, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true worship. Now, we worship a lot of different ways. And when we say worship, most people think of standing up, raising your hands, and singing songs. That's just one part of worship. But that's what we call it. Worship is a lot of ways. Service is what worship is. You worship God with your service more than anything. And your obedience, I would dare say. Okay? Now, the thing is, this can only be done through Jesus Christ the Son. It has to be done through Him or it doesn't work at all. Because Jesus said, the only way to the Father is through me. So if you do it outside of that, it doesn't work. Henceforth, any religion that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ as a Son of God isn't Christian. And because it isn't Christian, it doesn't serve God Almighty. Now that, again, I touched on that last week, and I know people get upset when they hear that. But it's true. If you're not, if you're not, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're going to believe in the Word of God, that's what it tells us. Anything outside the Word of God is not Christian. It can't be. Anything that adds to the Word of God can't be Christian. Anything that moves certain things out of the Word of God can't be Christian, okay? And as such, since God Almighty sent His only Son who said, believe in the Father, believe also in me. If, if you don't do that, then you aren't serving the one and true God Almighty. I, I don't know any other way to put it. I know it upsets people. I know it does. I know that we've even had our Pope tell us that there's several different ways to God. There aren't. There aren't. And friends, it doesn't take somebody with a post-grad uh, uh, theological degree to understand that because the Bible says so. There's only one way to God the Father, the one and true God, and that is through Jesus Christ the Son, period. There's no other path. If your religion doesn't believe in Him, you're not Christian, Okay? no matter how much you want to call it or how much you want it to be. Now, because we're Christian, according to the Acts, we must participate not only in His death and resurrection, but also in His baptism, right? Had to, had to participate in His baptism. First, by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit baptizes you, just like it did at Pentecost, comes upon you, yeah? Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then by water baptism, which is a choice you make to say, I've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, I've been reborn, and I'm going to show the world that I belong to Jesus Christ, which makes me part of the, the kingdom of God the Father. That's called water baptism. Did Jesus get water baptized? 
Yes. Why? Because he wanted people to know who he was. Now, let's talk about this royal priesthood thing. Since we're all part of the, of, of the royalty of a kingdom, and since we're all brother, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're part of what I call a collection of priests. That's what Vine says. I think that's a good way of putting it. It's, we're a collection of priests, all who have accepted the offer of salvation. And that ought to be everybody in here today. Agreed? If you haven't, okay, I was going to tell you to come up here and sit on this front pew, but I, I, that's probably calling you. I don't want to do that. But I want to tell you this, if at any time during this message today, and I'm dead serious when I say this, if at any time during this message today, or at the end of this message, if you're not sure that you've made a decision for Christ and His Spirit lives within you and you are saved, get up here and get it done, okay? Because I want you, before you leave here today, to be part of the royal priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. And if you amass people know what I'm talking about, don't you? Right, Pastor Bob? Yeah. Okay. So now, just because somebody comes up today doesn't mean they're not saved. Don't get that in your head and don't be looking at that anyway. Because people come up, people are going to come here today for a variety of reasons. In fact, I suspect a lot of people will be at the altar today. Because I think God's going to show you guys something beautiful today. That you are part of a royalty that was bought for you by Christ's blood. You're part of, you are, you're all part of this priesthood. You're all part of this kingdom that God has laid out for us. And so when we've accepted this offer, we're redeemed and automatically become part of the kingdom. And yet we have to participate in more than that. There's more to it than that. As individuals, we can continue to be a collection of priests in this priesthood of all believers. And as priests, we are to continue offering sacrifices not, for one, not necessarily for one another and not for other people because that would make you clergy. But you still have to offer a sacrifice, okay? But at the same time, we are ordained in His kingdom of priests. It's just different. We're not called to do it for other people. We're called to do it in our own right. You understand? And we're to offer these spiritual sacrifices to God. In fact, the Bible is clear that we're all ordained to do it. And that all of us are to offer gifts and sacrifices unto the Lord. Hebrews 8, 3, according to the Christian Standard Bible, says, Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And this is New Testament, which means it pertains to all of us. Amen? You understand that? And what this means is that because we are appointed into the priesthood of all believers, we are also joint heirs with the one and true high priest. And since we are collectively priests, we're to offer ourselves as a gift and a sacrifice, which translates, my friends, into time, talent, and treasure for sure, right? But more than that, God wants our heart and our mind. Sometimes I think we mix up the time, talent, and treasure. And so we make a list of things that we think we can do for God that week, whether we do it on paper, we do it in our minds, we will determine whether or not we can do these things for God or not based on other time constraints and other uh, material constraints, and other, you know, other constraints we may have. We determine what we think we can give to God. And friends, you cannot do it that way. That's how most everybody does it. But that's not how it's done. In fact, God says, I want your heart. I want the whole thing. Every bit of it. I want your mind, too. All of it. All of it. Now, 
if I have it, what I'm going to do is not take it from you. I'm just going to rework it. I'm going to rework it in a manner that will see to it that not only will I get everything that I demand, but everything in your life that needs attention will get it as well. And I will keep you from the things that you shouldn't be participating in. And I will protect you from the one that tries to draw you away from it. But I can only do that if I have you. I can only do it if I have you. Because if I don't have you, He has you. You see, you can't, both of us can't have you. None of us can belong to two different wives or two different husbands. And I'll tell you something, when people have tried, it doesn't work. And that's unbiblical anyway. And how many of us would like it if our spouse had another that they were saying they were true to? Well, you wouldn't. Why are we trying to do it with God then? Right? Why are we trying to do it with God then? You know, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. Now, I know he's talking about money. But it works the same with God and Satan too. Or any master that becomes the head of you. God has to have all of you, heart and mind. Because if you give Him those things, if you willingly give those things, here's what happens. Okay. When you do it, all of the time constraints that you have, all of the money constraints that you have, all of, all of the, the love that you need to put out to those that deserve your love, it, they're going to get it. They're going to get all of that. And God's the one that's going to show you how to meet it out. Friends, I, like you, have become frustrated at times in my life when I had work and this and that. And, and get this, friends, not only school, but I was going to theological school. And it was stealing my time with my Heavenly Father. Now, that doesn't seem right. My time of going to school to become a minister of the gospel actually took away from my time with Him. And the devil knew it, and he used it. He will use anything to steal from God. Anything. See? This is, it's, it's so easy to get. I hate to say it, but even a caveman could get it. it, it and, and you know what? We know it, too. We absolutely know it. We know what's happening. But here's the thing. Now that maybe you're convinced that you have to offer sacrifices to God, I can't tell you how to do it. That's between you and God. And I hope you listen to Him. And here's why. Because God taught me something here. I struggle to actually tell you because I think some people will say they're not doing it or they'll put up the hand and don't want to hear it. I think sometimes people do that to me. I think they do it to any person that brings truth. We don't want to hear what's being said, so we'll dismiss it. Or we'll believe it doesn't pertain to us. But the fact of the matter is, friends, even though we're supposed to give our time, talent, and treasure into the service of God through Christ, when we do it, we must offer every sacrifice there is, but it has to be acceptable to God, not to man. What you offer has to be acceptable to Him, not you. Because it's interesting, 
what we find acceptable and what he finds acceptable. They're very different. You think, and I think, that if I go to church on Sunday and maybe I'll get in on Wednesday night or maybe I'll serve on this team over here, that's my reasonable act of worship. I, that's what I'm willing and sometimes able to give. And God says, oh, oh, no. I think you can give way more than that. See, you, you, you can't tell God, well, God says, okay, I'll be a Christian. I got to sacrifice. Okay, so I'll, 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 I'll look at what all my assets. I'll say, I'll give this, this, and this. I'll give this much time, this much money, and these are the things I'll participate in, and I can't do that, can't do that, and, and we'll, we'll determine. It's not up to you. It's never been up to you. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. God, we, we can't. See, we think that's acceptable. We think God will accept that. No. God accepts what He has told you to give. What he is, he has demanded that you do. I, I, I can say this one way. I remember uh, in, in Marine Corps boot camp, uh, probably the toughest thing I ever did. I was in pretty decent shape when I went in. I've been an athlete, you know, I played baseball and wrestling and football and I played basketball one year and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that, that didn't work out so well. But anyway, uh, so, uh, you know, you got to be taller than I am to play basketball. So I stuck with, I went back to wrestling. But, but I was hurt, and so I was afraid to get hurt again, so I played basketball. A long story. But anyway, so probably shouldn't have been playing football either, but I did. Anyway, so, you know, when, when you're an athlete and you go into, you know, Marine Corps boot camp, now, you other branches can say anything you want, okay? I know you guys think you're tough. I know it. I'll guarantee you nobody's boot camp in our branches is tougher than Marine Corps boot camp. I'll guarantee it. It's a fact, okay? But either way, <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting what I saw. They ran the snot out of me. I mean, literally. And then they'll, and, and, and they do it pretty much right away. You think, you would think that they would, like on any ball team, we, we start out, you know, doing this little bit, and then this little bit, and we advance a little bit, then we make it a little longer, a little harder. <laughs> Marine Corps boot camp is right now, okay? They're trying to get control of your heart and mind immediately. Because you think you can do this, and the Marine Corps says, you have no idea what you can really do. Okay? So, they, they would make us put on full pack, full combat gear, full boots, and people don't run in combat boots. Marines do. Right? Full, full gear uh, with rifle and with, a, with a cartridge belt around it. And I found out that that rifle gets pretty darn heavy after about mile number five. Running. Okay? And they, they, were, they were sadistic, too. They made us run. Uh, if you've been to San Diego, uh, it, the, a good chunk of that run goes right alongside the fence of the airport. And you can look at those planes and know you ain't getting on one anytime soon. Okay? And so you would run. And, and I found out that when the drill instructors weren't, weren't looking, I could take the, the handle, the, the pistol grip of the M16, and I could slide it down on my cartridge belt, and it could bounce there. But I didn't have to hold up my hands. And I never got caught, but a lot of people did. Okay? Everybody learns, you know. But here's what I found out. We're going to run 10 miles today. We're going to run 15 miles. We're going to run even 20 miles today. And you're like, I, I, there's no way I can do that. But we did. And you know what? I bet I could have done more than that too. I don't want to try it, but I bet I could. At least at that point. This is what God's trying to tell you. See, you already set the limit that you think you can give or do. We all done. We're all doing it. And God says... You think that's acceptable because you think that's all you've got. The fact is, if I'm in you, you have way more than that because I am limitless. 
There's nothing I can't do in you. When you think you can't do it, here I am. And the difference is, maybe in your humanness you can't. Because I've seen people go and go and go, and they just drop because there's nothing left in the tank. You know, the Navy SEALs, I'll admit it, are tougher than we are. Their training is way... And I'll tell you something about those guys. When, there's, when they drop, there's nothing left to give. I'm telling you. Okay? And that's... See, we're, we're limited by our humanness. But God says, but when I'm in you, it's my spirit that's there. Okay? So what are you saying? I'm limited? I'm not. And I know what your physical limits are. I know what your financial limits are. I know what your time limits are. I made them. I made them. But you have determined, because I gave you the authority, to decide what to do with them. It's called free will. And when you want to give more than you're capable of, that's where I come in. Haven't I uh, made a lot more fishes and loaves than were there? Haven't I done it throughout history? Sure. And we know that as Christians. So we can't determine what's acceptable. God determines what's acceptable. God knows what you can give and what you can't, and He knows what He wants to give you that you can give that you can't. And when you say no, you're determining what's acceptable. And where did we get the chart? Who made the chart to determine what's acceptable? Nobody. But in our minds, that's what it is. There ought to be a chart in the church somewhere that says if you're this age or you're, if you've got this kind of job or you make this much money or, what, you know, or you're, you know, if you've got kids at home, you don't have to give as much time as a person that doesn't. Really? Who made that decision? You did. You know what, friends? Actually, Satan did. Again, what does he do? He robs from God, and He uses you to do it. He uses me to do it. What's acceptable to God isn't up to you. You can't determine what's acceptable to God. You just give all that He says to give. Friends, don't be misled into believing that offering a sacrifice to God means suffering or the loss of something dear and precious and very costly to the one offering the sacrifice. I think some people thought that, but that's heresy. God doesn't necessarily require that. He might, but He doesn't necessarily. God just wants your heart. Jesus was clear that it's obedience. It's a circumcision of the heart which proves the resolve of the person to be redeemed, to be obedient, as well as to be a servant. You had to choose to be redeemed. He redeemed you, but you had to accept it. You can choose, and you have to choose, to be obedient too. And you have to choose to be a servant. But in this manner, the servant desires to be in the servant of their, service of their master, which makes them really a bondservant. Okay? They want to be there. They, anybody, any of us can leave the service anytime we want. But... You want to stay. You want to serve your master. And this is what constitutes a Christian. It's not going to, uh, not, uh, going to church on Sunday, not even singing praise songs. It's not even simply doing good things that every Christian does. Oh, those are byproducts of it. No, friends, it's the surrender of the circumcised heart. It's obedience to praise and devotion that makes 
one part of the royal priesthood. And all Christians are called to this, every one of us. Whether they actually uh, are part, whether they are or not is actually up to God Himself. But we can see in the indication of whether they are or not by what we do or what we don't do. Again, God determines what it is. We, we say, well, a Christian ought to do this, a Christian ought to do that. Maybe. But the fact is, God wants way more than that. He determines what it is, not you. And the Bible is clear what it looks like. And if we don't line up with the Word of God, then likely we're not, you see. So, okay, let's go to point two. So what does the life and sacrifice of the priesthood look like? And, and, and there, again, there's some repetition here because I'm not sure we really get it, but I, I needed you to understand what it means to be in the, in the royal priesthood because not many people came in that front door today and thought, oh, I'm royalty. Did you? Did you, Janet? Did you think you were royalty this morning? Did, did, Chris, yes, did you? Did you? Did you? Did you? Uh, I did, because I knew what was coming. But I sure didn't until God showed me. Because I, it's like anything in the Scripture, we'll, we'll read it, and we're like, oh, I got that, and we'll go on to something else. And God's like, did you, did you really get it? Do you really understand? Christ said, I redeemed you. That makes you, since I'm the king, that makes you part of my kingdom. <laughs> You're royalty. You're not a subject. You're my brothers and sisters. I said so. Right? Prince Harry, never going to be king. But he's part of the royal family until he said, I don't want to be. But even if he doesn't want to be called prince, he can never give up the fact that he was born into the royal family. And neither can any of us give up the fact that we were born, reborn into the kingdom of God unless we renounce it and say no. God will always be the father of humankind. But he's not your daddy unless you said, I accept. Amen? It's yours. So let's go back to acceptable. What does the life and sacrifice of the priesthood look like? Well, it's got to be acceptable to God through Christ. Friends, a lot of people identify as Christians, but their offerings are not acceptable to God. You see, people want to offer God what's acceptable to them. Let's face it, we're always wanting to get the best deal or offer the absolute least that's required of us. I know that because I've done it, right? I know that I need to spend time with God, and God's not done with me, so He wants me to spend a little more time with Him, but I've given my lot of time today, so I'm not going to do it. And when God specifically wants to speak to me, I'll listen when I'm ready to listen, but when I'm not, I won't. Of course, I suppose I'm the only one in here that's ever done that, right? Now, you know, friends, when God's knocking at the door sometimes, or sometimes He puts His arm around you and says, hey, and we just like shrug Him off, because we won't hear it. Sometimes God does it through other people, and we don't want to hear it. Sometimes God does it through His Word, and we'll close it. Sometimes God does it through the Holy Spirit, and we're blah, 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 we're listening to other spirits. Because those are the ones that have our ear right now. And typically, that's what we want at that particular moment. Amen? And this is true because we're, we're, we'll determine in our own thinking what we think is acceptable to offer God. Now, we just talked about that a minute ago, but I want to repeat it because you've got to see the depth of it. 
The only problem is we don't have the authority to determine what's acceptable. And since this is true, we're offering God, get this, and this is why I want you to see, we're offering God leftovers. We're offering God seconds or blemished offerings. In other words, God is not getting the best that we have, nor the best that we are. That's true. That might be something we want to put somewhere, John. When we determine what's acceptable to God, then God's not getting the best we have, nor the best that we are. I didn't steal that quote from anybody's mind because I realized that's true. Now, our Scripture today basically tells us that as Christians, we're the spiritual house, the temple of the Lord, the habitation of God. In other words, we're the material of the true and spiritual temple. We're built in and upon the cornerstone, which you know to be Jesus Christ Himself. First Corinthians, Paul tells us in chapter 3, verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Oh, people try. They're trying to base their Christianity, their church, their belief system on other things. And again, if they do, are they Christian? No. No matter how much they want to believe it, no matter what they call it. You can call things certain things, but it's not so. Uh, I'll tell you how I know that. I remember a number of years ago, I had a 1973 uh, Chevy Camaro. It was just a regular 73 Camaro. But me wanting it to be better than it was, uh, I went out and got um, uh, Z28 decals and put it on it. They didn't make it a Z28. And the performance proved it didn't. It didn't have the engine that a Z28 would have, and it certainly didn't have the transmission that it would have, and didn't have the suspension that one would have. But people looking at it said, and here's what they would do. Oh, Z28. Then they'd see the engine. Oh, is that really a Z28? And I wonder if people look at you and me and say, oh, Christian, huh? Hmm. Are you really one? Are you? Because Christian ought to be this, maybe? Now, I realize that people don't really know what Christian is, especially if they're not one, they don't know. Okay? But other Christians should know. We should know. And as much as we have a responsibility to call it out in others when they're not, we have a responsibility to listen to others when we're not. <laughs> Right? Now, we don't, see, we, we, don't want to, we don't never want to be on that side, right? Nobody does. God says we're individually living stones, making up the priesthood of the only one and true spiritual temple. Paul says in Ephesians 2, In Him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in Him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Now, as I looked at that, I said, okay, so God, what you're saying is that the Spirit lives within each one of us, and collectively, we make up the dwelling place of God. And he said, yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. In fact, the character of his priesthood is designated as, get this, holy. And God says, be holy because, yeah, set apart. Remember that God commanded us to do that. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy, Leviticus 11. Since mankind was never able to do it through the command, which they weren't, in the Old Testament, He gave the command, but they didn't do it. In fact, they found out they couldn't do it. Uh, I mean, it was possible, but Satan was so powerful, and we were so self-centered that 
It was an easy task for Satan to, to get off track, and he did. And they couldn't do it. There are a few that did it. I think Enoch did it. I think, there's a, I think Jacob, to a point, did it, you know. Abraham, to a point, did it. But gosh, every one of those guys had flaws, didn't they? So none of them could do it to the point that God needed it and wanted it. But since, so, since mankind couldn't do it, God made it possible through the sacrifice of His Son. And the Son made it possible through His obedience to the Father. And, and through, then through the gift of the Holy Spirit, which makes us the dwelling place of God. That had never been done before until Jesus did it. And this is precisely why He prayed that the Father would grant us the sanctification that would make us holy. And fulfill the command that God gave us in John 17 my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Praise God for that. Anybody? Okay. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, Father. Sanctify them by the truth, for your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Through Christ you can be holy. He made the way for you. And if you didn't feel very holy when you walked into church today, that doesn't matter. For He made the way for you to be holy. What you have to do is make a decision and then go back to this thing, this, 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 this really difficult concept of giving Him this and this, all of it. When you do it, you're holy. To what point? Does it matter? No. God will continue to sanctify you over and again, more and more, called progressive sanctification. Yes, Pastor Chris? Yes, Pastor Bob? Progressive sanctification until entire sanctification. And the whole process of sanctification is making you get this holier and holier and holier. In other words, that means more like God, more like God, more like God. That's all it is. Can't happen unless he has this and he has this. Can't do it. And that, friends, means to do it, we have to become the sacrifice God requires. You see, it wasn't through salvation that He made us holy. That was the beginning of it. That was the beginning. That was initial sanctification. That's the beginning of your journey toward holiness. Do you understand that? That's all it is, okay? Sanctification is what makes you holy. It's the process of becoming holy. And you ought to be more holy today than you were yesterday. More like God than you were yesterday. Yeah? Anybody? Nobody gets it overnight. Not unless you fully give up this and this. That's possible. I don't think very many people have done it. But, yeah. I think, unfortunately, many people have missed this part of their spiritual life. They have gotten saved, but they aren't completely obedient. And, and that takes us right back to what Peter was trying to say. Okay? That's what Peter was trying to say. Grow up in your salvation. That's the process of becoming holy. That's the sanctification, you see. In fact, the Bible is clear, friends, that we have to do this sort of thing. We have, we have to change who we are. God has to, has to do in us what has to happen. Because if we aren't completely obedient, then... We're not a true sacrifice. And that means that we're not offering that which is acceptable to God. I already know it. I already know that I'm not acceptable if I'm not obedient. 
because that's what he says. And even though all acceptable sacrifices aren't specifically listed, many are. And those that aren't, well, other New Testament passages leave us no doubt as to what they are. And Paul is clear in Romans 1 that people are without an excuse. Okay? But I noticed that what is acceptable is comprised of two things, praise and obedience. Those are the two things that God absolutely demands from us, praise and obedience. Everything is connected to those things. Sometimes I think we make it too hard, more difficult than it is. God wants your praise and He wants your obedience. If you give Him those two things, you're giving God everything He wants. Now, I'll tell you what's going to happen. When you start giving those things, when you've surrendered your mind and your heart, you'll give God your praise, give God your obedience. Now, all the other things that God requires will come along because you're obedient, because you're praising. And the more you praise God, the more you'll want to praise God. Right? That's the truth. Okay? Hebrews 13 is another New Testament scripture that basically emphasizes and reveals the life and sacrifices of believers who are priests. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that openly professes His name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for such sacrifices God is pleased. In other words, there is to be the sacrifice of prayer and the praise to God. We are to recognize who God is. We are to recognize what God has done every time. That's from the lips. And the fruit of our lives will be a testimony of thanks to His name through our confidence and our obedience, our surrender, and our spiritual achievements through the power and authority of His Son, Jesus Christ. It all goes together. And God's going to have to be pleased with the sacrifices. He wasn't always. And He told the Israelites, I'm not pleased with your sacrifices. They're dirty rags to me. You might as well not even offer them. 1 Timothy 6 and Hebrews 6.10 Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown Him as you have helped His people and continue to help them. So why do we have to do this? Hebrews 13, 16 is clear. Don't forget to do good and share with others for such sacrifices God is pleased. The fact is we want to please God. Praise God and be obedient. You'll please God. That's it. Be obedient and praise God. Praise God and be obedient. And then our sacrifice becomes the worship of and the service to God through Christ. Now, friends, we're out of time here, so I'm going to go quickly here. To understand this, we have to go back to Romans 12:1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true worship. Paul is clearly appealing to us to give the due love and sacrifice that God has shown us. It's got to be constant. It's got to be continuous, not just an occasional dedication. And I'm afraid that that's what some of us are doing. In other words, you can't surrender to God one day and then take control back the next day. Okay? It means living for God on a daily basis. 
1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And we don't, by the way. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It means to sacrifice our body and our life no matter the situation. And let's face it, we don't do that either. God's kingdom and His will comes first within the person that's giving Him. Jesus said, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. It wasn't a suggestion. He said, do it. And not only that, it keeps us from participating in sinful thoughts and actions, but more than that, it keeps us from being tempted to give in to the lust that we already have anyway. And it keeps us focused on the things of God rather than anything else. Because our attitudes toward God and others are where they ought to be. Because again, like we'll try to determine what's acceptable to God, we'll determine what's acceptable for us too. We can't. Only God can do that. And I began to think about that more and more and more. And I shared this yesterday morning at our group that prays with Pastor Chris next door. And friends, if our attitudes and our eyes are focused on God, do you realize that others can't really wound us? They can't really hurt us? When our eyes are, when our eyes are on God, I mean, I look at, I look at Stephen. I'm going to share this with you another, another Sunday in a couple weeks. When Stephen, this is important. When Stephen was looking up into heaven, he was being stoned. You understand that? They were killing him. I'd say that's wounding. But somehow, I get the idea. Stephen didn't even know it. I, 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 you know, he says, Father, forgive them. for they, they don't know what they're doing. That's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus had his eyes focused on the Father at his crucifixion. Why couldn't Stephen have his eyes focused on the Father at his stoning? And why couldn't we have our eyes focused on the Father whenever we're being wounded? For if we are, people can't really hurt us. Stephen died, but I don't think he had any pain. I think he saw heaven and knew where he was going, and that was all that mattered. Did the people really hurt him? No. No. Did the stones really wound him? No. Because they could destroy the body, but they couldn't destroy the heart. God already had it. <laughs> you see? And as a worship team comes, let me share this with you. God demands that we present our lives as a living sacrifice. In total dedication to the worship and service of God, anything less is actually disobedient. Anything less is disobedient even when you might not think that it is. Our dedication can't be to ourselves because if it is, we'll live the way we want to. We'll do our own thing. Hear the words of Jesus himself about this in Matthew 16 and Luke 6. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Why do you call me Lord and then not do what I say? Friends, it can't be toward others. It not only cannot be toward yourself, it can't be toward others. And this is where we struggle. Because we'll say, I don't want to be self-centered, so it's not for me, it's for my children, it's for my spouse, it's for my parent. That's ridiculous. And let me tell you why. The devil's got you when you do that. 
Okay? It can't be toward others. Your dedication can't be to your spouse. It can't be to your children. It can't be to your parents. It can't be to your friends. And it can't be to your employer. But they'll all demand it. They'll all demand it. Again, Jesus said so in Matthew 10. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. I know how difficult this is. I get it. I know that there are demands upon you. I know that you feel obligated to love those around you. Yes. But if you really want to love them, don't love them by doing what you think they want. Don't love them by giving yourself constantly for them. Rather, give yourself over to the one in your heart and mind who loves them more than you do. And he will see to it that they get that and more from you. Because unfortunately, Satan's going to teach us something else. And we'll get bogged down in those things. And God's up here going, where's mine? And you know why God's sad? Not because he just wants it, but because he knows that your spouse and your children and your parents could have so much more from you if you would surrender to him. That's what he's trying to tell us. I got more to tell you, friends, but you know what? It doesn't matter. As we close today, what would it take to surrender all of this and all of this to the one that matters? What would it take for God to teach you that no matter if your pyramid is right side up or upside down, what would it take for Him to show you that you have to give Him control of it? Our difference of which way it goes doesn't matter. Who controls it does. What if God could do things in you that you never thought possible? Because He can. What if God could make you more than you've ever been? Because He can. What if God would give you more time, more talent, and more treasure to be used in ways because He can? What if God could do in and through you things you never thought possible? Because He can. What if God could take this priesthood of believers and do things with our community around us and out into the community more than the largest church in our, in our town can do? Because He can. Why? Because He's God. And as we sing today, let that permeate your mind and heart.